Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 16 and the last time we covered when we came together for the regular service the parable of the prodigal son which was extremely powerful and today we're going to cover the parable of the unjust servant uh, also known as the parable of the shrewd manager and it basically talks about the wise use of opportunities it also speaks about selfishness in materialism which really defaults to the wise use of opportunities. And what I love about the parables is that, you know, Jesus, could you imagine being there back then and, you know, people were following Jesus and he'd hang out on the countryside and he'd start preaching. And at some point in his ministry, he started telling these stories. And I'm sure a lot of people would be like, oh, wow, Jesus is going to tell us a story. But when he told the story and, and you got really into the story, what he would do is now start espousing on the symbolism. And you'd find out very quickly that the story had to do with you. So this, what I love about parables and going through the parable series, you know, you can say to somebody, and listen, the Bible's full of encouragement and love and compassion, but it also has conviction. You know, it also has, sometimes it can say to us, you're being selfish. And you know, as well as I do, if you say to someone, even somebody close to you, you're being selfish, all of a sudden the walls might come up. What Jesus was able to do was through these stories, he was able to get past our defenses, past their defenses, and certainly our defenses, and be able to tell us things through the symbolism so that we could make a self-evaluation uh, and give it to the Lord and see where we should go with that. Uh, so we're going to take this in five parts. Verse 1, And he, Jesus, also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. So the first out of five is, it's the problem. The problem. The steward was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. Well, what's a steward, and what's he supposed to be doing? Well, the Greek word is oikonomos, which literally means it's a composite word. It means house distributor. And this person was an overseer, a foreman, a manager, a fiscal agent, kind of all wrapped up into one. In those days, you had the owner of the farm or the owner of the property or the owner of the business, and the steward was second only to the owner with many under him. He would run day-to-day -day operations. If you look at the president's cabinet, we would understand that is the the chief of staff. So this rich man or this master finds out that the steward is wasting his goods. He's failing at his job and the steward would have to give an account. Now today we would call that auditing the books. <laughs> so if you're in business or you run a business you know that you have to order the book, audit the books from time to time especially if there's a problem. Now let's back up for a minute. Jesus didn't tell stories just to tell stories. He wasn't the son of God, the storyteller. There was a purpose for these parables, for these stories that he told. People, believers, were wasting the goods that God had given them. God created us with abilities. 
He created us with talents, spiritual gifts, opportunities. Some of us have proclivities towards this or that. What are we doing with them? What are we doing with those opportunities? What are we doing with the things that God has given us? You know, I, I, I thought about the summertime. And where we live in the Northeast, we love summer because it's cold. You know, the, the well, summer's not cold, but the fall comes and everything gets cold and the leaves fall. And then comes the dreaded winter and it's February and it's March and we just can't wait for the warm weather. But sometimes even believers can be guilty of worshiping the summer. You know, I visited a lot of churches and I know that when the warm weather comes, churches start to thin out. You know, I mean, ancient Egyptians used to worship Ra, the sun god. Sometimes you wonder if our culture does anything any differently. Oh, it's summertime. It's all about me for the next few months. You know, if you want to call me, I'll be on the beach or I'll be here or I'll, or I'll be there. Let's, let's, let's be real. That's what I do here. Let's be real. But the steward realizes he's going to be fired. Back then, if you weren't doing your job, you didn't have any protections. You were fired. Verse 3. Continue. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I, I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. We'll talk about the they. So the second out of five is the steward has a catastrophic plan. That's what I call it. This is his catastrophic plan. What am I going to do? He thinks to himself, and maybe he's a numbers guy. Maybe he's just got a good mind. Maybe he's never worked a day in his life, and his hands are very soft with no calluses. And he's like, I'm not, I can't dig. I don't have the, the frame for it, and I'm too ashamed to beg. You know, they didn't have unemployment back then. So he comes up with this plan. He's in a panic. Before he gets fired, the plan is this. He's made some friends. You know, he's the overseer. And his master has debtors. They owe him money. And what he's going to do is he's going to give them a discount on what they owe the master so they like him even more. So that when he's fired, he could go to them and maybe they'll do him a few favors. Maybe give him a job. I, I can't help but think of federal politicians. You know, you ever notice these, both parties, man, the guys, gals, they come in. Some of them are a meager, uh, you know, lifestyle. And by the time they leave, they're wealthy. They work for foreign companies, you know, they, they do favors with our money, you know what I'm saying? And then they leave and all of a sudden they're multimillionaires. How does that happen? A lot has changed since the founding uh, fathers in this country, but that's another subject for another time. Verse 5, we continue. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So three out of five is the execution of the plan. All the creditors, I mean, excuse me, uh, all the debtors get a discount, right? The first one gets 50% discount and the second gets a 20% discount. I guess he liked the first one more, I'm not sure, but uh, we continue. The steward uses his present position, though, to prepare himself for his next stage in life. We can make the parallel. Using our present position, where we are now, you know, for some of us, and listen, 
Some are, are wealthy and some don't have much, but there's, there is a responsibility. God had, especially if we're believers, God has expectations. You know, are we using what we have to prepare ourselves for the next stage of life? Now, I'll talk about what salvation is, and I'll, and which is very clear. It's, a, it's, it's faith. We believe and trust in Christ and what he did for us. He died for our sins on the cross. We trust in that sacrifice, that propitiation, and we have eternal life. It's very simple. But there's also things that we do here that is going to be examined, right, when we, when we step into eternity, and we'll talk about that. You know, people prepare for a lot of things. Life insurance. Okay, well, that doesn't prepare us for the next life. It helps our loved ones. It's actually a nice name. It's really death insurance, if you think about it. Life insurance, you use it when the person dies. 401ks, pensions, you know, we do that. We prepare, don't we? But it's, it's for the next stage in our life, maybe retirement or our older years. But I still haven't said anything that talks about preparing us for the next life. Millions of people on the planet are not doing anything to prepare themselves for the next life. Have you? Where will you spend eternity? Do you know? Have you considered it? Let me just say this, that consider this. You could do what you want today. You could do what you want next month, next year. You could make something of your life. You could do nothing with your life. You could waste your life. You can serve God. You could not serve God. It's all free will. But when we step into eternity, that decision about where we're going is not ours anymore. Isn't that interesting? When you step into eternity, the decisions you made here and the beliefs you had here will prepare you for eternity. And many have not prepared. You know, I, I, I've done too many funerals in my tenure as a pastor, which hasn't been that long. And I talk about these things, and some are very uncomfortable. Well, we're at a funeral. You know, a person's not here anymore. Um, and if they're in a good place and you're not, it's something to consider. And I don't see this to be rude. I say it to be loving because once we die, it's too late. I just talked to a brother who, uh, who's a, a solid member of our church, and he serves, and he was telling me about a friend who was dying, and he went to see him before he passed, and he shared the gospel. And he received the gospel before he stepped into eternity. I've had that blessed opportunity uh, and in my mind, it's amazing. It's been so many years that I, I have little snippets of remembrances in my mind. I remember a person I visited in the hospital, same thing. I can't remember his name. But somebody said, will you talk to my father, whoever? And uh, then the person died not that long afterwards, after receiving Christ as the Lord and Savior. That's a, a wonderful experience. A wonderful experience. You know, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Let's go back to the steward. He might have been unmotivated at some point. It might have been routine. He might have been lazy. I don't know what his mindset was. I don't even know if it's a real story. I'm just telling you what the parable says here. But a scare caused him to be resourceful. It was a scare, and it frightened him. Many are like that today. A near-death experience. Maybe I should consider God. You know, or even believers. I'm blessed to... The guy's not even a Calvary guy. His name is Warren Wearsby. He's a great Bible commentator. I love reading his commentaries. I love his insight on it. He's an older man. And he recounts, after speaking about this parable, 
uh, near-death experience that he had, and he was a believer. And it shook him out of his complacency. Well, guess what? Me and many others like me have been blessed over the, over the years to be able to read Warren Wiersbe's commentaries because he had something that frightened him. You know, but you don't have to wait for that to happen. I mean, I remember that too as a Christian. You know, I was learning and I was going to, you know, classes and stuff, but I would serve out of my surplus. I didn't serve to give anything that would have curtailed my lifestyle. And you can thank my wife that I'm here because she would often say, she would rebuke me. She'd say, you're, you're serving out of your surplus. You're really not putting a lot into it. And I have to tell you, I still remember her saying that, and it irritated me. <laughs> and, and I apologize, honey, you were right. But, and then what happened after that was uh, a, a man who mentored me, who I loved very much, uh, passed away early, definitely an untimely death, and... Uh, I just remember all the things he taught me. And when he died, I spoke at his memorial. And that was also a wake-up call. And these things together came together, and, and that's why I'm here. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't have been. You know, you can thank my wife on the way out, but I was skirting this and skirting that and making excuses for why I couldn't be here, and I, I did that. You know, it's really great. I love this because I can cut on myself to help you. See, you, you look up here, and you see the pulpit, and you see the raised floor, and you might have an unrealistic impression of who I am. I'm just a human like the rest of you. And let me tell you something, I probably made almost all the mistakes, so it's great for me to share about my experiences. Um, and I love, I read about the disciples, and they made plenty of mistakes. Uh, and that, that gives me encouragement. And, and listen, we're all in this together. We're this human family that God has put on this earth. And he's called many of us into his marvelous light. He draws people, and then when we become saved, he also wants us to do things to reach others. This isn't the finish line. I love my salvation so much, and I know what I was saved from, that I couldn't hide it. It, it, would, it would eat at me. I couldn't do it. So, that, there you have it. Verse 8, continuing on. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly for the sons of this world. Now, we go from the master to Jesus' commentary. We make a switch in the middle of this verse. He says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, or when it fails, depending on the translation, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. So for the master's response when he finds out about all this. He partially commends the steward that he's firing about his resourcefulness. Now, he didn't, he didn't approve of his character, but he does commend something that he did, his shrewdness. And Jesus doesn't commend this guy for his unethical behavior. But what he does do is he comments on those wise use of opportunities. And the question is, do we make the most of our opportunities that God has given us? You know, and you might think, well, what do I have to offer? It's amazing because we watched the movie last night, I Am Not Ashamed, and they, break, they broke out and the girls, teen girls were here, the boys were right here. I was hanging with them, there's about 15 of them. And I was excited for them. And listen, I remember being in high school, oh, I wouldn't want to go back. You know, your body's changing, your mind is changing, you don't know what you want to do with yourself. It's a confusing time. But what I was, I was excited about them was, I, I can't get into the high school. I'm not a teacher, I don't have a position, but 
we were trying to encourage and build them up because they're going to go into the high school and make, hopefully make a positive difference. That's exciting to me. So you might say, well, you're a pastor. And I might say, well, you're a high schooler. And I can't get into the school. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it, it's, we, people think, like they have this, they get down on themselves. Well, what can I do? Well, in the movie, which was based on a true story, Rachel Scott was 17 years old. She did a lot. As a matter of fact, after she died, they, they, every, she affected so many people that her car was filled with gifts. And I mean, it was still in the parking lot with flowers and gifts, and you couldn't see the car anymore. She affected so many people in that high school. That's impressive. But Jesus seems to indicate, let me strike that. Jesus says, he doesn't indicate, that many believers are not using their opportunities wisely. And you might say, well, that was just for them. No. People are people. The geography changes, the language changes, the time period changes, but we're still people. We still have the same flaws. We have the same propensities and sometimes to be lazy. I have an easy chair at my house, by the way. It's very fluffy and comfortable and it reclines and I rarely sit in it because I know once I sit in that chair, it's like magic and I pull the lever and my feet go out, my head goes back. I'm done for the day. It's a nice chair, but I really never get to use it because I, I have things to do. I have studies to put together, you know what I'm saying? Um, but these are, these are the propensities that we have. But Jesus says the sons of this world are more shrewd than the sons of light. And that still holds true for today. So you may ask me, because I like to answer the questions that might be asked, well, why would Jesus use an example of a sinful situation to make a point? Because we, we as people tethered to the earth would understand it. So if Jesus came around today and um, he was hanging out in, in our area and he started telling a parable about the, the corrupt politician, we'd all be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we get that. We're in New Jersey. We understand that. You know what I'm saying? So in this situation, everybody would have understood what he was talking about. It made perfect sense to the hearers, right? And again, doesn't mean he approves of it, but he takes a, a known to decipher an unknown. You know? I kind of like the parables, and I liken the parables to algebra. You know, find the X. To some, it's torturous. Find the X. What's the X? But it's the unknown, and you will take the knowns, and you start manipulating the equation to find the unknown. And that's what parables do. The unknown is for earthbound people to understand the things in heaven that eye has not seen nor ear heard. So Jesus came down from heaven to help to express and explain and to tell us how to get there and to explain some of the goings-on over there before it actually happens. That's powerful. You know, I also think of the, here's another example, last example, is the Rosetta Stone, great archaeological find in 1799. It was an, actually, an actual stone from the second century B.C. that had, and this is what they did. They didn't have computers and documents back then, but ancient civilizations were very smart. They had the Egyptian hieroglyphics, which were kind of pictographs, and then Demotic, which was a form of the language back then, and then the ancient Greek. So for years, scient or scientists, archaeologists struggled to understand hieroglyphics. With the finding of the Rosetta Stone, they could take the two knowns, partially demotic, mostly ancient Greek, and they could find the hieroglyphics. Now we can interpret and decipher hieroglyphics because of the knowns. You see what I'm saying? So God's truths are timeless, and we still use them today. 
continuing in verse 8, what he basically tells us is that the sons of this world are motivated and zealous to pursue the world's treasures and pleasures, but they only last for a short time. Now, I, I love to witness to people. I love to tell people about Jesus. Sometimes I run into somebody that says, I don't care what I, what I die. I want to enjoy life now. Now, I can respect that. It's foolish, but I love the truth. I love when people just smack me with the truth. All right, you're, you're taking a gamble because you're going to spend all of eternity in eternity. <laughs> it's a long, long time. But some do that. The sons of this world, the daughters of this world, are all about this world. Wouldn't it be amazing if everyone learned from what Jesus said and every Christian on the planet was so on fire and excited about their faith and lived their faith in their lifestyles and affected other people? Imagine how this world would be different. It would be amazing. Now, let's just take out our spiritual mirrors for a moment. And again, the Bible's filled with love and compassion and forgiveness and encouragement. Not so much this time, <laughs> but it's necessary. You know, we don't grow without conviction. We don't grow without sh being shown that we need to change our ways. We don't mature. We stay. Show me somebody who's really deep, and I'll show you somebody who's had tragedy in their life. It's that simple. So when we look at the scripture, and we read this parable, and we put up the spiritual mirror to ourselves, take a little spiritual selfie, what do we see this morning? Do we see a son or a daughter of the light on fire for God, looking to further God's kingdom, looking to see their friends and everybody they know saved? And Lord, help me to do this and give me opportunity. Well, this morning when we put up that mirror, do we see what Jesus would describe a son or a daughter of the world? And we could be believers and still see ourselves as somebody who's sold out for the world. It's all about me. It's not for me to answer that question. I can only do that in my own life. Verse 9, he says, make friends. He doesn't say with unrighteous mammon. And let me just explain this for a minute. Mammon was a god of money back then. So mammon is understood as money. Today, the dollar bill or gold or silver or whatever, your credit, it's a, it's a medium of exchange. It's innocuous, but it's bound to this world. We can't come to heaven with a, a wad of hundreds and think we're going to get anywhere up in heaven. All that stuff stays here. It only works here. But it's unrighteous, mammon. It, you know, it's innocuous at, at best, evil at worst. The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of money. He says, make friends not with this unrighteous mammon, but by this unrighteous mammon. In other words, use present resources in this ungodly world to further God's word and his word. I'll give you a, a very small example. You know, you, you know, you understand it, but my wife and I, if we go out to the diner or we go to a restaurant or whatever, I have little cards and they have scripture, very powerful scripture about the Lord. And with, at the end of the night, you know, we try to engage and talk to our servers and we give, put these little cards in the little folder that they, you put your credit card in and stuff. But we don't just put that in there. We also tip them well. Because the person who's unsaved, if they are unsaved, and they see the word, and they've worked all night to serve us, and some Christians, they don't get it. They do stupid things. I just feel this. They'll throw a tract in there, and they don't give any tip. That's an insult. Person worked to serve us. You know what I do? 
I give them a good tip, and I give them that card. And that unrighteous mammon goes away into opening their heart a little bit to be able to read what I put in there. Uh, Casting Crowns had a, uh, a video, a music video, Does Anybody Hear Her? And the, right? and the one where she's the waitress and the Christians are all, they're ignoring her the whole time. She's obviously struggling. And they, they put a tract in there and no money and she just rips it up and throws it. Was, whoever the guy is who wrote that, he, where I'm in agreement with him. But used to use unrighteous mammon, it's just money. Right? Sometimes we can try so hard to hold on to stuff and it slips out of our hands anyway. Why not use it to bless others? Why not use it to further the kingdom? As a church, you know, we buy cases of Bible every year. Somebody will go out, I'm going to a nursing home. Yeah, take a bunch of Bibles. Just let me know how many you took in case I have to reorder them. So we used unrighteous mammon, the church's money, to buy all these Bibles so that they can be used to further the kingdom of heaven. Very simple. Unfortunately, some even believers use resources to just continue to make themselves more selfish, more comfortable, more selfish. It's all about me. He says that when you fail or when it fails, the mammon, you'll be received, they will receive you into everlasting habitation. When this world ends, you can't take anything with you. You know, grave robbing has been around for thousands of years, right? The Egyptians had the tombs. They had boats put in there and gold and silver and over time people found out there's nobody there. Let's break in and steal it because you know what they knew? Wasn't going to heaven with them. Can't take it with you. Still people do that. It's, it's a morbid practice. Uh, exhume bodies and take gold fillings out of their teeth or rings off of their fingers. It's, 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 it's a sick practice but what it shows is that n- that stuff can't be taken with us to heaven. And I think we need to understand this over and over again. See, what we do here, though, will pay eternal dividends in heaven. And again, dividends, we don't, you know, we don't go up to heaven and we have a portfolio and it tells us how much we made every month. But again, it was a way for us to understand that in heaven, you know, what we do here has a huge effect there. A huge effect. Now, some see those receiving you into the kingdom, into everlasting habitations. And it's a really great interpretation. I love it. Jesus just had this way with imagery. So make friends by unrighteous mammon, and they'll receive you into everlasting habitations. I'd like to think, and and from what I read in the scripture, that when we get to heaven, maybe one person, maybe a thousand people, that someone's going to be on the receiving line. And you say, and they're, and they're happy, and they're, they hug you, and you're like, who are you? Well, I was from this remote area in the world, and you had sent missionaries and supported them, and you gave them Bibles, and I read a Bible, and I got saved, and God said to go to you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or that person at work, or that person that you met on the street, or that person that you see somewhere out, and they're obviously less fortunate, and you buy them food. And you tell them about the Lord and you forget about them 30 years later. And they're on the receiving line. That's powerful. That, that's a sight to see. Now, I think the danger comes in the extreme where, where you, you kind of get into these cults and they, they, they check a box and they, they want you to know, they want to know how many doors you knocked on and how many people. And then you're tempted to fudge the numbers so you look good. We don't do that here. It's between you and the Lord. And, and what am I doing here? For all the people sitting here, whoever's going to go out and do this this week, 
someday it's going to be a blessing to me. I don't know who you are or what you're doing or if you're moved by the message. But we're going to have a great time in, in heaven, aren't we? You know, God loves people. He loves people. We're all part of the same family. Now, the unjust steward was shrewd for the wrong reasons. But we need to be shrewd for the right reasons. The unjust steward was just thinking about this life. But we need to be thinking about the next life. And the blessing is, sometimes you get to see those 10 years down the road that come to you and you forgot and they remind you what you did. And that's, that's, that's great. That's some nice fruit here. But most of it, I believe, is going to be in the heavens. In heaven. Verse 10. Actually, there's somebody here this morning that um, <laughs> a Christian young lady, one of our young adults, is a waitress, and she tells the people that she serves about Jesus. And a uh, young man um, said, you know, I've been looking for a church, and he's actually here this morning, and he's been with us for a few months because of one of our young adults that's been on fire for the Lord. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> I won't make you stand. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but uh, when I heard that, I get so excited. To me, that's better than giving me like a million dollars. I just, somebody's soul got saved and it's just very exciting to me. Verse 10, we continue. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. This proportionality principle. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot walk forward and backward at the same time. You're either going forward or you're going backward. They're mutually exclusive. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. Now, again, unless there's something I don't know about, for the rest of my life, I don't think I will ever be a millionaire, and that's fine. That's, that's awesome. But I know some who are and who are believers and have done incredible things by the unrighteous mammon to support the work of God. I, again, I'll never have that experience, but my hat's off to those because handling money is like handling poison. You got to be careful. If you hold on to it too long, it gets into your bloodstream. So I am, to me, it's, it's, I think it's a gift for somebody who does well for themselves and is, is very generous with it. You know what I'm saying? You ever hear, let's, I've been around for a while. It was like the 70s or the 80s. Everybody talked about making their first million. Now people are like, pfft. First million, that's passe, you know what I'm saying? I want to make a hundred million. I want to be a billionaire, whatever. <laughs> so you, you get the picture there. But five out of five is the deeper lesson in ministry. Faithful in little and faithful in much principle. We'll see that in personal ministry. We'll also see that in ministry. And sometimes that, listen, even as a pastor or a ministry leader, you, you have to be good at a little bit of everything, and, and you have to want to be good at a little bit of everything. And I know some that, that have been exposed for either shoddy or improper bi business practices, you know, and they just, the goal to them was just to get bigger and bigger. And they crashed and burned. And God is like, you know, you're not faithful in the little. I'm not going to give you much. 
you got to, especially in ministry, you got to watch people that have big eyes. You know, they're always going for the moon. They're always going for the stars. And they don't start with taking one step in front of the other. You know, sometimes people come into this church and they, right away, they're not even here a few, a few times. They, they want to be up at the pulpit. They want to be the leader of the worship team. You know, they want to lead you. And it's kind of weird. It's almost like this authority complex. And we teach, you know what, get to know people. Sit a while. Make friends. Serve. <gasps> Serve. I, I, I want to be up there. That's not how it works. Faithful in the middle, in the little, faithful in the much. Now, by the same token, you know, we may, and even among some Calvaries, we may find that some practices, um, their financial practices aren't good and we don't support it. You know, because what we have to be accountable with is your resources as well. So you have your own things to do, and so do I personally, but as a church, we take collections, we have to be good with your resources. I mean, I don't think you'd want to stay if we were just wasting your money on stupid things. But at the same time, we also have a responsibility in ministry to be generous to those that are needy, to those that come in and they're obviously destitute, and to help them out. You would want that as well. So it's kind of like this really neat equation, but you, you got to start off in small steps. I mean, when I was a Christian, I started off as an usher. And then after an usher, I was in the children's ministry for a while watching little kids. It's amazing. One, one little girl, um, she's actually in her 20s now. Man, time flew. I remember she was a little kid. She had these beautiful curly locks, and now she's one of my friends in this church. It's his daughter, and she's, she might have even graduated from college now. Uh, anyway, that has nothing to do with the story. <laughs> but, you know, just, I was just in different things, and, and what God did was he goes, okay, the big picture is I knew you were going to be a pastor. You didn't, but now you have all this experience under your belt. You were faithful in little things. And, and that's what we, we want to do. Faithful and little, faithful and much. And you can see that in your personal life as well. You know, you, you ever meet somebody, maybe they're not a Christian, but they, they want to go into business and they want to make a million. And they start skipping around and getting sloppy with their taxes and all kinds of stuff. And before you know it, they're, they've crashed and burned. And it's sad. I'm not saying it to pick on anybody. But that principle not only holds in spiritual things, but it also holds in the world as well. Verse 11. God wants to see us faithful in smaller things, and then he'll also give us things that are like true riches, things that will last into the next life. You know, um, the gospel of salvation, telling people about Christ. He grows us, he matures us. We, we start to understand, and we, we, we're able to go out, we're able to share our faith. He gives us opportunities, right? He gives us opportunities to bless others. Maybe somebody that we, we meet on the street that is obviously a cashier or the guy pumping your gas. We have to be sensitive to the world around us, to our environment. What is God trying to show us? To, to lead or to teach in ministry. And sometimes when I look at true riches, I think maybe the millennial, the millennial kingdom. We read about this thousand-year period, and you know God's going to have us doing something. And I already put my bid in. I want to be somewhere on the Mediterranean where the weather is beautiful and... You know, whatever, you know, he might put somebody more faithful than me on the Mediterranean, but I'm just, he knows, right? We've talked about this. Uh, but, you know, true riches, the things of God, not the things of the world. Verse 13, he says, we can't serve God and mammon or material possessions or money. You know, at the end of our lives, we'll, we'll see a reflection of who we worshiped or what we worshiped and what we served. You know, is it God or is it ourselves? Is it pleasure? Is it status? Is it fame? 
I just want to get my name on that college wing. You know, I'm going to keep giving them money, and hopefully one day my name, I don't really care. I just want to be the guy that at the end of my life, God says, well done, faithful servant. You know, I don't need to be at the top. I just need to be somebody that I made a difference in other people. That's all I care about. You know, I want to run the, the race well. That's all I care about. We continue. Last two verses here. Verse 14, now the Pharisees, this was the religious echelon at the time. They, were, they made money for themselves, and that was their, their focus. They were political. They were in the in crowd. They were the elites. So the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things. They hear the parable. They're not convicted. And there's plenty of people out there that are like that. They'll hear God's word, and they'll scoff at it. And they derided him. They derided Jesus after hearing this parable. They probably felt a little bit of conviction because God is faithful and they pushed it out. And instead they attacked the messenger. And Jesus said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. You make yourself look good in front of people. And you can do that in religion. Make yourself look really good. Put on a show. But God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Very strong words. You know, I don't understand people today, and I hear them. They, they, they like the teaching of the Bible, but they grew up in a certain religion, and they feel like traitors if they leave. But they have nothing nice to say. They only want my money, and they want a lot of my money, and they want to know how much I make. We don't do that stuff here. But they just can't make the leap because they feel this strange loyalty. You know, I think some people... They get abused so long. It's like an abusive relationship with a religion. And this is what these people were doing, and Jesus had enough of it. They were abusing the people. They were charging them too much. They were ripping them off. And the only ones doing well were the ones at the top. Just to make things clear before we close. Salvation is through faith in Christ and trust in his substitutionary death on the cross for our sins. We see that in Ephesians 2. It's not by works because then we could boast about it. And God said it's not. You, you, you can't boast. Jesus did it all. But we will have to give an account at some point on what we, about what we did on the earth to further God's kingdom with the resources at our disposal. If you're interested, that's in 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. There will be an accounting. God has expectations, and he should. He should. Some will just barely get to heaven, and their works will be burned up because they meant nothing, because they weren't done with the right motives. You know, it was some, somehow self-seeking through that. A few lessons we can take away from this parable. Number one, we have a very short amount of time on this earth. Huh? I looked at the trailer, Lee Majors. I was a boy. He was a young man, the bionic man. Now he's an older man. What, what happened? I remember watching it as a kid. You know what I'm saying? Listen, I'm turning 50 this year. I remember stuff that happened at eight years old. Where did the time go? I actually thinking of making a police report because I think I got robbed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it went really fast. Life is short. Make the most of your time. Redeem the time, the Bible says. Number two, we will all give an account with what we've done with the resources on this earth. And again, 
God has an expectation. Do we love? Oh, I'm, I'm filled with love. I feel love. Okay, but does our love show in actions? And oftentimes, love in action is how we treat others, how we maybe sacrifice our time, our counsel, some of our money to help somebody else. That's love. Love is an action. It's not always just a feeling. That's too much Hollywood stuff. Three, examples of being good stewards. What has God given us? And we could look at the obvious. A lot of people say, oh, money, financial. So I'll start with that one. Do we support ministry? Have we ever supported a missionary? The less fortunate. Have we ever bought a Bible for somebody that was a co-worker that was seeking and didn't have a Bible? Spent the 10 bucks or the 20 bucks, bought them a nice Bible, probably blow their doors off. I mean, if they're a seeker, they're interested, right? Going out and, listen, I, I've run into people at, at eateries, you know, and, and they obviously look like they haven't shaven, their clothes are shabby. I don't, I don't give out cash because sometimes that's used for the wrong things, but hey, let me buy you a meal. What do you want? Just every, anything on the menu, it's yours. But then again, they're also going to hear about the word. <laughs> they're not going to get away that quickly. <laughs> so let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> let me tell you what, you know, before I was a Christian, I was stingy. I'm just, just saying. My wife will attest to that as well. She's smiling back there. We look at time. Do we serve? Do we ever do things to serve the Lord? Have we ever volunteered for anything? You know what I'm saying? Our time. To me, my time is actually more precious than money because I have a lot of things to do. And there's times that God curtails my daily errands and I run into somebody and I know he's saying, this one, talk, open your mouth. You're going to be late for this, but spend some time. Time, very precious to us. And also people, contacts, personal counsel, discipleship, evangelism. Again, just contacts. You know, and, and I've said this before. We could go outside and go into Jamesburg, beautiful day, have something to eat, and maybe during the course of the day walk past 200, 300 people. You'd be surprised. Do this one day. It's, almost, it's like probably a really hard thing to do. Count how many people you've seen or walked past in the course. Of, it's a lot of people. You know what's amazing? Jesus, he made contacts, 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 because he wanted to see everybody in the kingdom. Can we do a little bit of that? You know what I'm saying? Four, Jesus tells this parable right after the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son wasted his father's resources and his own inheritance. The steward in this story wasted his master's good and probably wasted a lot of his time, and he wasted his own position. And many today are wasting what God has given them. Okay, living a very selfish, self-centered life. But five, here's the good news. Number one, we don't have to wait for a tragedy. Number two, we can do this today. And some people do that. They hear one message, and that's the message that really pierces their heart. And they're like, oh, I've had people come to me weeping and just pour out what the message meant to them, how God spoke to them individually. Powerful. I'll leave you with this. We can all look back at something we've regretted. And usually it goes back to time again. Maybe a relationship that didn't go anywhere. For years. Didn't go anywhere. Maybe a business opportunity, some venture that went south. I put 10 years into that and I hear this. But when you serve God, it's never a waste. 
when you serve God, and, and, and sometimes we in ministry have to tell ourselves this because we see a lot of heartbreaks. You pour into people, and maybe you want them to get better more than they want to get better, and it, it falls apart, and you think, what a, I failed. But no, maybe God used us for a time. Maybe eventually they'll get on their feet and, and do well. So when it comes to ministry and the things of God and pouring into people, it's never a waste of time. And that will pay eternal dividends. So let me just say this as well. One day, we're, gonna, we're not going to be here forever. Where did those 50 years go? I have no idea. It went fast. One day we're going to step into eternity. We're going to meet God. We're going to meet people. It's going to be a great time of rejoicing. And you know what? The things that we've done here, although we might think that they're small, will pay eternal dividends. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.